You know, the Christian church does something rather unique, and that is preach. For 21 centuries, God has used preaching. And uh, it's, it's more than just to talk. Every now and then, pastors will have folks that come, and they're a guest, and maybe they don't have a church background, and they'll say, it was a very nice talk today, you did. But God has ordained something called preaching, and it's more than just to talk or just sharing thoughts. It's the way he communicates his word powerfully. And uh, they did it in the first century, and here we are in the 21st century, and we're still doing it. I want us to pray today again before we start. Bow your heads with me. Father, we want to lift up our youth today, 33 youth and uh, counselors and leaders away from us today as they are in their winter retreat. Bless them richly and mightily. And God, in the holy name of Jesus, I ask today that here with us that your power would fall on this place. I ask you today, O oh God, that you would bring conviction to our lives. And I ask you, Lord, today that you would let your mission become ours. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We're going to be looking at various passages of scriptures today, but they're all about the harvest. And if you have your listening outline there, you can see that you've got some fill-ins and some information and some references. And so um, we are going to talk about the harvest. All committed followers of Jesus Christ need to be actively involved in helping others come to know God in a personal relationship with Christ. This process, coming into a relationship with God, Jesus called the harvest. And there's some important dynamics we're going to look at today that we need to understand about the harvest and some preparations that we need for joining God in the harvest. The harvest has been sort of a focus of mine and Joyce's ministry. As I worked with church planters for over 22 years, I was constantly trying to help them understand that a large part of their job in starting a new church was to address the harvest and to help people come to know Christ. Question for you this morning, how many of you are gardeners? How many of you enjoy gardening? Okay, I'm in trouble. Um, let me just say that Joyce and I both have brown thumbs. We had a garden years ago when we were a young married couple in Georgia, many years ago, been in the Northwest going on 43 years now, but we had a garden in the backyard. And let's just say I'm sure it was all the fact that the soil was not good there, but it was the most pitiful thing you've ever seen. I think we had three ears of scrawny corn come up and a couple of little tomatoes, and we decided that is not our our calling here, gardening. But Jesus, as in the first century, he was addressing an agrarian culture, and people understood all about farming. And so he, throughout the New Testament, often used the farming analogy to help us understand mankind. And today, we're going to first see that the harvest is about people. You'll notice in the, the outline, there is re referenced uh, Matthew 9, um, we just have a brief portion of it, but I'm going to read it. I've got the NASV version in the, the outline, but I'm going to be reading out of the New Living. In verse 35 through 36, And Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, when he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, 
he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the harvest. This description of Jesus looking at the multitudes and seeing them as distressed or downcast, different translations translated differently. But, you know, that's the state of all of us before we come to faith in Christ. It describes us without Christ. And I'm going to take just sort of a little side note here before we move on and talk to you today about what it means if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to be pretty candid, pretty blunt, but I ask you, don't be offended with me if you're not yet a Christ follower. Don't think I'm criticizing you or saying you're a bad person. What I'm trying to do might be, in an analogy, like Abramel, battalion chief with Clark County Fire, it would be synonymous with him going to someone's house and saying, you need to get out of here because your house is on fire. Uh, he would not be criticizing them. He would be trying to help them and save them. And so today, that's the spirit of what I'm about to say. If you're not yet a Christ follower, and by that I mean you've not committed your life to Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins, turned over the reign of your life to him, and let him become your Lord and your personal Savior. If you've not done that, the Bible says several things about you. First of all, it says you're lost and you're dead. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. The Bible teaches that if we are not Christ followers, we got a problem, and that problem is sin. And you see, it doesn't mean you're not a good person. It doesn't mean you don't do lots of good things. It just means you can't ever possibly do enough to be acceptable to God. You are lost, and the Bible says when we come to faith in Christ that we move from death to life. So you're dead. You're lost, you're dead. Second of all, you are limited and unfulfilled in your life. You might say, Bevan, are you claiming that somebody that doesn't know Christ can't live a fulfilled life? Well, you can live a fulfilled human life, but you can't live to the capacity that God wants you to and that he intends for you to. Pascal said it back in the 1700s, within the heart of every man there's a God-shaped vacuum which can only be filled by God in the person of Jesus Christ. And today we know that's true. Do you find that as you live your life, you know, you have a good job, you make good money, but... It's not enough. You have a great wife and family, and you love your kids. You love your wife, and, and uh, she's that wonderful woman you waited for. And yet, it's not enough. Do you find that your hobbies that you spend a lot of money on and delve into, that as great as they are, they never really satisfy? You know why that's true? God never intended for any of that to satisfy us. He created us to have a fulfilled life in him. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. God longs for you to know his fulfillment that he can bring to your life. Paul in scripture would often use the word beseech or entreat. Uh, he, he longed for the Jews to come to faith in Christ. And I want you to know, I long for you today to come to know what God can bring to you that only he can bring for you, the fulfillment that he can bring. But not only are you lost and, you, are you, and you're dead if you don't know Jesus, 
You're not only limited and unfulfilled in your life, but your destiny is one without God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God... I misquoted, by the way, I just realized a while ago. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But 6.23 says uh, that, uh, that we have a destiny apart from God. The wages of sin is death. Let me read to you briefly out of 1 John that tells us more about this. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And then down in 11 through 13 it says, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Listen to these words. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you. Believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The wages of sin is death. That speaks to eternal separation from God. You may be a wonderful, good person, but because you can't be made right with God apart from repentant faith, you will leave this life and go to an eternity in hell without him. I don't like that, but I didn't set that up. God did. That's the reason he sent Jesus. He's done all he can do to reach you. And to keep you from having that destiny. Some say, how would a loving God ever send anyone to hell? He's done all he can do to keep it from happening. So today as you listen to this message, though it's primarily a message to Christians, I hope you will think about it if you do not know him. Probably you know the term agnostic. It just means someone who says, if there's a God, I don't really know it. I don't know him. But you know, we have moved in our culture in this century from having many, many people that are unsaved, unchurched, that are agnostics, to they've become agnostics, which means they become anti-Christian, anti-church, because they're clueless, they're ignorant about God. Today, I hope that some of what we share will help us understand how God sees the harvest. Pastor I heard years ago told a story that really impacted me. My life's never been the same since this. He said, many Christians, we look at our culture and how messed up it is. I might add that he was pastoring in California at the time. And we look at our culture and we see how messed up it is. And we have a reaction. You know what it's called? Anger. Wrath. We get mad. Am I the only one here that gets mad with what's going on in America? And sometimes it's like it becomes us and them. We're Christians. Look at all these lost people. Look at how they're ruining our country. Look at all the, the wrong things that are being promoted. Look at this, that, whatever. It might be uh, the killing of innocent babies in the womb, you know, uh, critical race theory in schools. On and on and on we could go, you know, social attitudes in our culture that are so contrary to God's word. And we get angry. But this is what my pastor friend said that impacted my life many years ago. He said, God loves this messed up culture. God loves these people. God loves those that are apart from Christ. He loves you today more than you can possibly fathom. That's why he wants you to come to faith in him. And the pastor friend went on to say, God loves this messed up culture. And until we love it, like he loves it, will not see a harvest. 
We need to be those different, weird kind of people that know God, that see our world and say it's messed up, but yet at the same time conveys a passionate love for those people. A passionate love that says, I don't agree with you, but I care about you, and I want you to know that. So the harvest is about people, but the harvest is also about sowing. We're in the Mark here now, and I'm going to read this passage to you. You see it, the brief words in the bulletin of the kingdom of God. is like a man who sows, who casts seed upon the soil. Matthew 4, verse 14, and uh, verse 26, yes. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. One of the biggest problems we have in America as far as the message of Christ is that we live in a culture, and especially the PNW, especially the Northwest, we live in a culture that has not been sown with the gospel. If you go out on the street and ask 10 people, uh, how do you get to heaven? What are you going to hear most and foremost? You may hear some that say, well, I'm not sure there is such a place. There may be a rare Christian in that group of 10. But most people are going to say, well, you know, I, I try to treat people like, right, live as good a life as I can, and I hope my good's going to outweigh my bad, and, and maybe I'll go to heaven when I die. But the gospel is that we can never get there on our own, but God has provided a way for us. In Romans 1.16, one of my favorite verses, the Bible makes it very clear about the gospel. And it says to us, Paul said, I'm not ashamed in the good news, the, good living, uh, the new living, rather. It says, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. I want to tell you, I don't understand that. But I do know this, the gospel is powerful. It will change your life. How do I know that? Because it changed mine as a young boy, and it's still changing it. The gospel is power. I get it why most people don't come to church, because they don't understand what church is about. They don't get it. You know, they come, they don't understand the music, the songs, the preaching, anything we do, and they just soon stay away because, you see, they've not encountered the power of the gospel. Over in Romans 10, it makes it clear to us that people have to have the word of God in their life. Romans 10, verse 13 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And actually it goes on. I'll read a little more. It says, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? The harvest is about sowing. In Northwest culture, they don't understand the gospel unless they find out about it through us. I asked his permission to use him a little bit today. I love this guy right up here, Alec Baker. You know one of the reasons I love him so much? Remember when we had Friend Day back several months ago? The week after that, Alec told me, he said, I'm just going to make every day Friend Day. 
And this guy is always inviting people to come to Go Church. There's something good about our church, and it's this. If you bring a lost friend, or maybe a friend that's just out of church but already knows the Lord, you bring a lost friend here, I can tell you because I know Mark Ford, I know our church, I know our pastor elder team, you will hear the gospel. And still in America, many, 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 maybe a majority of people come to faith when they come to a church service and hear the gospel. That'll happen as you are here. You may say, well, you know, this, this witnessing thing, that's really what you're talking about, Bevan, today. You're talking about witnessing, and I've heard sermons on that. That's not me. I'm not comfortable. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Listen, you can invite people to church. And don't just invite them once. Keep on inviting them until they come. Let them know you love them, and that's why you're doing it. The gospel is not only about people. It's not only about sowing. The gospel is about a God thing. What do I mean by that? It's about God's unexplained production of the crop. Mark 4.27, speaking of the farmer, it says he goes to bed at night, he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts up and grows. How he himself does not know. The New Living says, but he doesn't understand how it happens. Now please hear me carefully, because I got in trouble years ago when I was pastoring when I said farmers are overrated, and a man there who used to be a farmer, an older fella, he got really upset with me about that. So I'm not criticizing farmers here, but I'm telling you, there's a sense in which farmers are overrated. You see, farmers till the soil, they plant the seed, and they fertilize and care for it, but you tell me what farmer or which one of us today can actually explain how the ear of corn grows to be an ear of corn. Or how it becomes a tomato. Or how it's a potato in the ground. It's unexplainable. And that's what the harvest is about. It's a God thing. Only God can bring about salvation. Just like the miracle of God's unexplained production of the crop. The phenomenal aspect of any crop is that it comes to development and toward ripening. And God has a plan to reach people. We aren't responsible for their response, but we are responsible for sowing. And we sow every Sunday here, and hopefully you sow in your life with your family, friends, neighbors, and others, and you tell them about Christ. You know, don't, don't tell me that's not something, that's something you can't do. You can if you find out how to share better, and if you're willing to trust God to give you the courage. You may be a bundle of nerves when you start to say a word. But if you step out in faith, God will use you to reach people. People that Mark doesn't know, people that I don't know, Connor doesn't know, James doesn't know, our staff doesn't know, Randy doesn't know. They're people God wants to reach through you. Let me tell you a story. It's about a man that you may not know who it is, though I imagine a few here do. Uh, How many of you know who Mitsu Fuchida is? Okay. All right, Randy and my wife. I, knew, I didn't expect Randy to be here. I said, I'm so glad you're here today because you need this message. No, no. I said, I'm so glad you're here today because I know you'll be supportive of what I'm going to share today. Mitsu Fuchida was the Japanese officer that commanded the aerial attack at Pearl Harbor. The war ends. Mitsu Fuchida is in a prison. And somehow a Bible got to his cell. 
Mitsu Fuchida gave his life to Christ. As a teenager, I got to personally hear him speak at the church I was part of. It was in the Atlanta paper. Everybody ever, uh, well-known. I remember a teacher, my homeroom teacher in high school. She said, I don't care what's happened to him. My brother died at Pearl Harbor, and I want nothing to do with the man. I hate him. But Mitsu Fuchida stood before us and shared how that as he read the scripture, God spoke to his heart. God changed him, and he asked me uh, and all those there to forgive him for that attack. And he said, I'm a different person because I have been born again by the power of God. God has a plan to reach people. It's God's business. And guess what? We can trust him with it. He'll get it done if we're willing to let him use us to do our part. Fourth, the harvest is about timing. Mark 4, 29. This, this, this passage, as you see uh, in your listening guide, just explains it well. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We get real confused as Christians about what our responsibility and God's responsibility is. We've already said the harvest is a God thing. But we get confused because we think that someone, when we share with them, is not interested and maybe even hostile and certainly is not ready to trust Christ, that we failed. No, we haven't. God and God alone decides when the time is right. In fact, what we do is we move people along and God and they determine when and if they're ready to be saved. The gospel is about timing. God's timing in people's lives different. I've found in 42 plus years in the Northwest that many Northwesterners that haven't heard the gospel before, that haven't had an impact with God's church and Christianity, it takes them quite a while before they're ready to make that commitment. But what we must do is we must seize the moment when God gives the opportunity. We must be ready and prepared to seize the moment. Do you know how to share the gospel with someone and tell them the irreducible minimum of how they need to come to trust him? Well, if you don't, you can easily learn that, and you can be about that. I'm using a lot of personal illustrations today. Please, please hear me. They're not meant to say, I've got it all together, and I understand all this, and I'm this great Christian. They're just the illustrations I know. I have a friend. He's in heaven now. His name is Don Gray. Marsha Gray worked for the Northwest Convention for many years, a dear friend of mine and Randy's and Mark. Don was not a Christian. And I got to know Don and his property that he owned out in Goldendale, and he was gracious enough to let me and some of our family members hunt out there, and we spent many an hour talking with each other. Don got cancer. Ultimately, his fourth type of cancer that he had took him, and he's with the Lord now after nine years of struggling with it. But one day he was at the Northwest Convention offices and he came in normally and if I was there, he'd come and sit down and talk with me. So remember what I'm talking to you about now is that the, the harvest is about timing, God's timing. Don was sitting in my office and we were chatting and Don was telling me how that he just sensed that God was there when he was going through some of this horrible cancer treatment. 
And I said, Don, you know, we've talked a little bit about spiritual things before, but I, I have a question for you. Would you say that you know Christ is your Lord and your Savior, and you're going to heaven when you die, or would you say you're still in process? And Don looked at me, and he began to weep, and he said, oh, I'm still in process. And I said, I've got good news for you. You can become God's child today if you want to do that. Before I ever said a word about spiritual things that day, I could literally feel God's hand slapping me in the back of the head and saying, what are you waiting for? You see, it was the moment that God had, and I was able to share God's word with him, and he gave his life to Christ that day. Nine years later, I was privileged to do his funeral service. But that was God's timing. You don't have to worry about if someone's ready. You just be ready when they are, and God will use you. These have been dynamics about the harvest that I've learned over the years, and I felt that it would be beneficial to share with you as it helps you in your Christian walk and as it helps you, if you're not yet a Christ follower, to know how you can come to know him. But I want us, as we close today, to look at the other half of the sermon, and that is the preparation for the harvest. There are three keys to preparation for the harvest. The first one is we have to see what God sees. Seeing what God sees. The passage we've already read says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white for harvest. Now, let me segue here just to identify this doesn't mean that everyone is going to respond to the gospel or give their life to him. It doesn't mean that everyone's ready, certainly. But it, they may not be someone that's going to respond to the gospel. But the harvest being white and ready means that some of the crop is ready. Some people are interested in what you have to tell them about and what they can learn as they come to go church. There is a heresy amidst, and that is Northwesterners are not spiritual people, and they're not interested in the gospel, and uh, they're just sort of turned off to all that kind of stuff. Don't waste your time. That's a lie to hell. Many, many people want to hear of the gospel. And your witness to them will be productive. Here's the problem. We've got to see what God sees. You see, the church of Jesus Christ has its eye on itself, not the harvest. I know that sounds very harsh. But I've seen this over the years as a Christian minister over and over and over so I'm going to tell you another personal story. I'm not going to tell you where this church was, what its name is, because I'm not meaning to be critical of the wonderful people there. But Joyce and I were part of a church once, and Easter was coming up, Randy. And they had decided that they were going to do an Easter cantata to reach the community for Christ. This is what the church said. And so we're practicing that cantata. And not everyone in the choir was able to keep their opinions to themselves so yours truly was there and the music we were going to do and many more than just these two will know what it is but particularly these I'm sure the Myers will know but the Fords senior Fords and and Mark and Christie the music we were practicing was Stamps Baxter music it had shaped notes Mark and so I being the big mouth I said can I ask a question and the choir director said, sure. And I said, why are we doing this? 
And I'll never forget the voice of a little lady in the choir who said, we like this music. Do you know what she just said? I know she didn't mean it this way. She just said, this is about us. It ain't about them. And the church of Jesus Christ has got its eye on itself, and it breaks the heart of God. May there never be a day when Go Church doesn't have its eye on the harvest. We were birthed, as Mark and Christy and others were led of God to start this church, we were birthed to reach the harvest, and we must never forget that. Maybe one day down the road we'll have a building, and that'll be a great thing, sort of. Because when you get a building, I've seen this, I know Randy's seen this over and over. Those that have been in church many years, you've seen this. When a church goes from being the mobile church without its own building to get a building, you know what happens? They go, we've arrived, we're okay now, we're there. Don't let your eye be on the church. Let it be on the harvest. The church is the only group or organization in the world that exists for those that are not yet part of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that the church is about edifying the saints, and that's a big part of what we do here. It's, it's for Christians, but we also have to remember that the other half of the equation is we are here for those that aren't yet part of the kingdom. We exist for them, and we can never, ever, ever forget that. Seeing what God sees, the harvest. The second preparation for the harvest is seeking God on behalf of the harvest. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, it's where we read earlier, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. When I talked a few minutes ago and shared about how that if you don't know Christ, that you're lost and dead, you're limited and have an unfulfilled life, you have a destiny apart from God, that was one of the two most important things I was going to say today. This is the other one. This is the other one. The response to follow Christ in the harvest is proportional to the number of workers that are sharing the gospel. I may be a little bit overboard, but not much. I think it's pretty much directly proportional to that. It's the reason we have 3,500 missionaries around the world in international countries. Because we believe there needs to be workers there sharing the gospel. It's the reason... God has blessed Go Church so much because it's not just about the staff we have, it's about you and your serving and working. Here's the second most important thing today. When Jesus Christ, God incarnate, saw a sin-sick, hurting world in need of God, his answer was prayer. Specifically prayer, seeking God for workers to work in the harvest field. It was prayer. Do you get that? The Lord himself said, when you see the harvest that's, that's white and ready, then you need to be praying that God will send workers there. See, the crop doesn't harvest itself. 
If you never dig up the potato, it just stays in the ground and rots. If you never pick the corn, nobody's going to get to enjoy how good and tasty it is. What happens when we pray for God to send people to share the gospel with the lost nations, cities, and cultures? I want to ask that question again. What happens when we pray for God to send people to share the gospel with lost nations and cities and cultures? I'm going to answer that by telling you a story about my wife. 1977, I know you're adding up and going, he is really old. Yeah. Of course, you already knew that because Mark is always telling you that. Now, in fairness to my good friend Mark, he said, Bevan, I wouldn't do that if you couldn't take it. And if you were 80, I, I wouldn't do that. Well, he's only got about five more years before I am 80. So maybe by then he'll, he'll lighten up a little. I don't know. I don't know. Probably not, knowing Mark. Okay, so 1977, Joyce and I are what they called a, at the time a praxis team. And we served for the summer between our first and second year of seminary at Southwestern in Texas. We came to the Northwest, never been here before. Came already sensing God had given us a missionary calling. And it might be to someplace like the Northwest. We came into Mount Vernon, Washington, and it was like we were home. It was like, oh, man, this is awesome. So we served there for the summer. And Mount Vernon, if you know the geography up in northern Washington, northwestern Washington, just 25 miles north of Mount Vernon's Bellingham. We were amazed at how unchurched Bellingham was. It was, it was just hurtful to see how few churches, how many people, how, how was a small percentage of people that went to church in Bellingham to any Bible-believing, Christ-exalting church. And so we left, went back to seminary. We sort of promised we'd do that. They weren't stupid there at seminary. And so uh, they, they asked us to stay and keep pastoring a little nine-month-old mission to church. But we said, no, we, we can't. We have to go back to seminary. We had a number of people come to Christ that summer. It was a wonderful, blessed time. It sealed our call to church planning in our hearts. So we go back to seminary, right? But what I did not know to three years later is Joyce put in her prayer journal that God would send laborers to the harvest in Bellingham. And I didn't know that till I got a call from a pastor in Oak Harbor that said our church wants to start a church in Bellingham. I, you remember when you were here and, and I told you I wanted to keep up with you. He said, would you pray about coming to start a church in Bellingham? And I said, already have, and, and we'd love to do that. But I didn't know until that afternoon, Joyce got home from her job at the law firm and I shared it with her. She said, I don't think I've told you. I've been praying for that for three years. Now, this isn't about saying, aren't we wonderful, responding to God's call. This is about saying to you, that something happens when you obey this command of Scripture to pray for workers to go to the harvest. This is what can happen. First of all, God may send you. He may send your kids and your grandkids. He may send your church leaders to another field. You see, when we obey God and pray for workers, God answers that prayer. The greatest blessing of our married life has been that we got to raise our family here. My youngest daughter, Kristen, and Payway, her husband, are here with us today. And we got to raise them in the Northwest because, you see, this is where God sent us. We were the workers he sent out. This is home. 
So, don't, because you're afraid, not pray, because you're commanded to. But really be aware, when you pray, God may send you, may send your grandkids, may send your good friends, may send your children, may send your church leaders, because God cares about the harvest. You see, he's always had his eyes on the harvest, unlike those of us that tend to get our eyes focused on us. A demographer years ago, uh, spare you the details, but did a survey, Christian groups all across America, all denominations, and this is what he found. 95, oh, this hurts, this hurts. 95% of church people say the church exists to meet their needs. Lastly, in preparation for the harvest, it's not just seeing what God sees, it's not seeking God on behalf of the harvest, but it's doing the hard work of sowing, cultivating, and reaping. And it is hard work. It is very hard work. We, the church, have the tough task to persuade, influence, and impact all people, especially those in our cities and communities, to embrace that which they don't yet know they need. It's a tough job, but worth it. I want to read that again. We, the church, have the tough task to persuade, influence, and impact all people, especially our cities and communities, to embrace that which they don't yet know they need. It's a tough job, but it's worth it. Let me tell you about Dave in Bellingham. Dave had a, uh, uh, a mainline church background, which is really a way of saying that he, he knew almost nothing about Christianity. Uh, we were in Bellingham, just 75 miles from the Canadian border, and Dave was a Canadian. But his girlfriend lived in the same housing complex where uh, we did, and so she was coming to the new church we had started with God's help and blessing, and he started coming. And we lived in the same little apartment complex together, and so Dave did a lot of talking to me. And uh, he even had the audacity to do it on my day off. And so I'd talk with Dave, and I realized he wasn't yet a Christian. And we talked and talked and talked, and I thought, man, he's, he doesn't get it. I'm not getting through to him. This is really, this is, and I also thought, honestly, I'm just wasting my time. I need to invest somewhere else. But one day, and it's a long story, not going to go there, but because of the stringent requirements of the city planners in Bellingham where a church couldn't, couldn't meet, uh, we were very limited. And so we looked for other church buildings that were available on Sunday afternoon and evening, and no Protestant group wanted to share with us. But one day I went to the Roman Catholic Church and asked the priest, and he said, why don't you come and make a presentation to our parish council? I almost fell on the floor. We did, they did, voted on it even. So we're meeting at a Catholic church, and one day after the service during the invitation we still had a come forward invitation at that time and after the service and the invitation Dave came up and he's got tears on his cheek he grabs my hand and he says I think I'm ready to trust Christ and then he made this amazing statement he said I figured if the Baptist and the Catholics could get together on anything it must be time for me to get saved so he gives his life to Christ, right? Victory, wonderful, we're there, we're good. Oh, it just started. Then I had to answer all his questions. 
And it was a lot of investment of time in helping Dave come to understand what it meant to serve God and to live for God and to be a Christian man. But it was worth it because God brought him to that salvation. Friends of ours, Steve and Michelle, that have been part of what's now called Pathway for many, many years, you got to understand this is a sharp man, a beautiful woman, started her own daycare business. These weren't and aren't stupid people, okay? But when Jeff Orge visited in their home and said, I wanted to come and answer some of your questions, Steve said, are you going to use the Bible? And Jeff said, well, yeah, I am. And he said, good, we didn't own one, so we went and bought three, put some on the counter, which of these should we use? And he proceeded to help people that were very smart and intelligent and educated but didn't know anything about Christianity. Do you know how long it was from the time Steve and Michelle started coming to then Greater Gresham Church, now called Pathway? You know how long it was before they actually gave their life to Christ? Four years. They're committed to Christ now. Steve's been uh, a shepherd elder at the church. Uh, He's actually their maintenance guy. Four years. Four years. You see, if we're willing to let God use us in the harvest, we have to be willing to do the hard work of sowing and cultivating and reaping. But, oh, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I hope today you'll commit yourself to be a worker in the harvest where God has you planted now. I couldn't help but note as I got uh, email from Keith Evans. Uh, some of you know Keith. I won't go into all about him. Uh, pastored the church there in Gresham for 25 years. He's now with Resonate, which is a collegiate church ministry uh, that started at uh, Washington State. It's now expanded tremendously. And this weekend, right now, even as we meet, there are 1,000 university students from 16 campuses in seven states. And I saw a picture of him this morning, and he said, all these people are saying, speak, God, we're listening. What's God telling them? I don't know all he's telling them, but I know one thing he's telling them. He's telling them, look at the harvest. And I believe, I don't think it's audacious because I'm the one preaching But I believe today God is saying to some of you, you need to get your eye on the harvest. You need to become a worker. You need to step out of your comfort zone. You need to do the hard work that is required. It may be today that you relate more to what I said at the first, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. I described it pretty blatantly about what you are if you're not a follower of Jesus. Let me just say to you, though, that that can all change If you simply just say, God, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I'm willing to put my trust in you, give you all I am, and receive all that you are. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer now where you can do that just in your seat. In a moment, we're going to have Bill and Vicki Edens in the back. I encourage you, if you pray this prayer, go back and let them know it. They'd love to have a prayer with you. Not going to make you feel awkward or put any pressure on you. Maybe today as a Christian, you want to go back and pray with them and want to say, God convicted me today, and I want to respond to his call. Let's bow. Father, thank you for your glorious, powerful word that always says just exactly what we need to hear. Today you've spoken to us, 
And I pray that even as we're here, if there are those that have not yet come to trust you completely, that they would just pray this prayer right now in their hearts and in their, in their heads, and they'll mean it. Lord, I want my sins forgiven. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are God's son, and you did die on the cross for me. I'm willing to turn from my sin as you give me the power. I give you all that I am, and I receive all that you are, and I trust you now to become your follower and to be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray your blessings upon others of us that you are calling today to be workers in the harvest. God, I want to be that worker until the day I die. I give myself to you, to you anew and afresh and ask you, Lord, to help many more today to make that commitment or to renew that commitment to follow you in reaching the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.